0: Hello and welcome to the Happily Ever After podcast. My name is Mason Sontag and I will be your storyteller for today. Today we're going to be looking at a classic fairy tale from One Thousand and One Nights. Now if you don't know, One Thousand and One Nights is a series of stories, a collection of uh, Middle Eastern folk tales that were compiled in Arabic during the Islamic Golden Age Um, and they have been translated many, many, many times since. The story that we'll be reading today is known as The Merchant and the Genie. Before we get started, Mm -hmm. I want to mention that I'm recording this podcast in Ithaca, New York, which is part of the traditional home of the Cayuga Nation. Ready? Here we go. There was once a merchant who possessed much property in lands, goods, and money. He was obliged from time to time to take business journeys, and on one occasion he took a horse and carried with him a wallet containing biscuits and dates, because he had a great desert to pass over, where he could produce no sort of provisions. He arrived without accident at the end of his journey, and, having dispatched his affairs, took horse again in order to return home. On the fourth day of his journey, he turned off the road to rest for a while beneath some trees. He found a fountain near at hand, so, tying his horse to the branch of a tree, he seated himself beside the fountain and took some biscuits and dates from his wallet. As he ate his dates, he threw the stones carelessly in different directions. Then, having finished his snack and being a good Muslim, he washed his hands, face, and feet, and said his prayers. Before he had finished, he saw a genie, white with age and enormous in size, advancing towards him with a scimitar in his hand. He spoke to him in a terrible voice, bidding, "'Rise, that I may kill you with this scimitar!' as you have killed my son. How could I kill your son? exclaimed the merchant. I never knew, never saw him. Did you not sit down when you came hither? demanded the genie. And did you not take dates out of your wallet? And as you ate them, did you not throw the stones about in different directions? I did all of that, answered the merchant. I cannot deny it. If it be so, reasoned the genie, I tell you that you have killed my son, and in this manner, when you were throwing the stones about, my son was passing by, and you threw one into his eye, which killed him. Therefore I must kill you. Ah, my lord, pardon me, exclaimed the merchant. No pardon, no mercy, exclaimed the genie. Is it not just to kill him that has killed another? I agree it is, replied the merchant. But if I killed your son, it is unknown to me, and I did it innocently. I beg you, therefore, to pardon me and suffer me to live. But as the genie persisted in his resolution, the merchant begged that he might be granted a year's respite in which to return home, bid farewell to his wife and children, and settle his business affairs. Do you take heaven to witness, cried the genie, that this day, twelve months, you will return to this spot? I do, answered the merchant. Whereupon the genie left him and disappeared. The merchant then hastened to return home and acquaint his family with the sorrowful intelligence. There was great lamentation made, and his wife and children wept bitterly, the merchant himself mingling his tears with theirs. But notwithstanding this, he did not neglect to set his affairs in order, and at the end of the twelvemonth, He bade his family adieu, and set out upon his journey to the appointed spot. He reached the fountain, alighted from his horse, and seated himself upon the ground. He had not been there long when he saw an old man leading a hind approaching. "'Brother,' said the old man, "'why do you come to this desert place, which is the resort of an evil spirit?' The merchant satisfied his curiosity, and related to him the adventures which obliged him to be there. The old man listened with astonishment, and when he had finished exclaimed, I will remain with you, brother, and be a witness of your interview with the genie. They conversed together for a short time, and then perceived another old man coming towards them, followed by two black dogs. After they had saluted one another, he asked them what they were doing. The old man with the hind told him the adventure of the merchant and the genie, and all that had passed between them, and the second old man resolved also to remain and witness the issue of the meeting. They had seriously begun to converse together when they perceived a thick vapour, like a cloud of dust raised by a whirlwind advancing towards them, and out of the vapour appeared the genie, holding a scimitar in his hand. Taking the merchant by the arm, he said, Rise, that I may kill you as you killed my son. When the old man who led the hind saw the genie lay hold of the merchant and about to kill him, he threw himself at the feet of the monster and said, Prince of genies, I most humbly request you to suspend your anger and do me the favor to hear me. I will tell you the history of my life and the hind you see. And do you think it more wonderful and surprising than the adventure of the merchant? I hope you will pardon the unfortunate man one half of his offense. The genie, after deliberating a short time on the proposal, finally agreed to it. So the old man began his story. This hind, he said, is my cousin, oh, Nay, what is more, my wife. Well, she was very young when I married her— and after living together twenty years and having no children, I took a second wife. This wife presented me with a son, and my first wife, being jealous, hated both mother and son, but concealed her aversion so well that I knew nothing of it till it was too late. When my son was grown to a youth, I was obliged to undertake a long journey. Before I went, I asked my first wife, of whom I had no mistrust, to take care of my second wife and her son, Uh, over the course of my journey, which was to be about a year. But, having studied magic, she succeeded by her enchantments in changing my son into a calf and his mother into a cow. At my return, I inquired for mother and child. "'Your wife,' said she, "'is dead, and as for your son, I do not know what has become of him. I have not seen him these two months.' Eight months passed, and my son did not return, and, uh, it being the feast of the great sacrifice, I bade my herdsman bring me a fat cow to sacrifice. He accordingly brought me one, and having bound her, I was about to make the sacrifice, but she bellowed so piteously, tears falling from her eyes, that I could not bring myself to give her the blow, but delivered her to my herdsman, who took her away and slaughtered her. But when he came to skin her, she found her to be nothing but skin and bone.' "'Take her yourself,' said I, "'and dispose of her in alms, or in any way you please, and if you have a fat calf, bring it to me in her stead.' He returned shortly with a fat calf, and though I knew not the calf was my son, yet I could not forbear being moved at the sight of him. On his part, as soon as he beheld me, he made so great an effort to come near me that he broke his cord and threw himself at my feet as if conjuring me not to be so cruel as to take his wife. I felt a tender pity for him, which interested me on his behalf, and I bade the herdsman take the calf home and bring me another one in his stead. Although my wife urged me again and again to make the sacrifice, I could not bring myself to do so, and the herdsman led him away. The following morning, the herdsman desired to speak with me alone. "'I come,' said he, "'to communicate to you a piece of intelligence "'for which I hope you will return me thanks. "'I have a daughter that has some skill in magic. "'Yesterday, when I lugged the calf home, "'I perceived she laughed when she saw him "'and, in a moment after, fell to weeping. "'I asked her why she acted two such opposite parts at one "'and at the, the same time. A father,' said she, "'the calf you bring to me is our master's son.' I laughed with joy to see him still alive, and wept at the remembrance of the sacrifice that was made the other day of his mother, who was changed into a cow. These enchantments were made by our master's wife, who hated both mother and son. On hearing these words, I hastened to the house of my herdsman, and asked his daughter if she were able to restore my son to his former shape. She answered me, smiling, You are our master, and I well know that I owe to you, but— I cannot restore your son to his former shape, except on two conditions. The first is that you give him to me for my husband, and the second that you allow me to punish the person who changed him into a calf. Having agreed to both of these conditions, the damsel took a vessel full of water, pronounced words over it that I did not understand, and addressing herself to the calf, exclaimed, O calf, if thou wast born a calf, continue in that form but if thou be a man, and art changed into a calf by enchantment, return to thy natural shape. As she spoke, she threw water upon him, and in an instant he recovered to his natural form. Oh, we embraced each other tenderly, Bernadette then addressed him to these words, I doubt not but an acknowledgment to your deliverer you will consent to make her your wife, as I have promised. We consented joyfully, but before they were married she changed my wife into a hind and this is whom you see. This is the history of myself and this hind. Is it not one of the most wonderful and surprising? I admit it is, said the genie. And on that account, forgive the merchant one half of his crime. When the first old man had finished his story, the second, who led two black dogs, addressed the genie and said, I am going to tell you what happened to me and these two black dogs you see by me, and I am certain you will say that my story is yet more surprising than that which you have just heard. But when I have done this, I hope you will be pleased to pardon the merchant another half of his offense. I will, replied the genie, provided your story surpasses that of the hind. Then the second old man began. "'Great prince of genies, you must know that we are three brothers, "'the two black dogs and myself. "'Our father, when he died, left each of us one thousand sequins. "'With that sum, we all became merchants. "'A little time after we opened shop, my eldest brother, "'one of these two black dogs, resolved to travel and trade in foreign countries.' With this view, he sold his estate, and bought goods suited to the trade he intended to follow. He went away and was absent a whole year. At the expiration of this time, a poor man, who I thought had come to ask alms, presented himself before me in my shop. "Is it possible you do not know me?" he cried, and upon this I looked at him narrowly and recognized him. "Ah, oh, brother!" cried I, embracing him. How could I know you in this condition? I made him come into my house, and, having questioned him and concerning his misfortunes, I found that he had lost all his goods and money through unfortunate trading. I immediately shut up my shop, and, taking him to bath, gave him the best clothes I had. Finding, on examining my books, that I had doubled my stock, that is to say, that I was worth two thousand sequins, I gave him one half. "'With that,' said I, "'you may make up your loss.' "'He joyfully accepted the present, and, having repaired his fortunes, we lived together as before. "'Sometime after, my second brother, who was the other of these two dogs, also sold his estate. "'His elder brother and myself did all we could to divert him from his purpose, but without effect.' He disposed of it, and with the money bought such goods as were suitable to the trade which he deigned to follow. He joined a caravan, and departed. At the end of the year he returned in the same condition as my brother. Having myself by this time gained another thousand sequins, I made him a present of them. With this sum he furnished his shop, and continued his trade. Uh, "'Some time after, one of my brothers came to me "'to propose that I should join them in a trading voyage. "'I immediately declined. "'You have travelled, said I, "'and what have you gained by it? "'Who can assure me that I shall be more successful than you have been?' "'In vain they urged me, for I constantly refused, "'but after having resisted their solicitation for five whole years,' They importuned me so much that at last they overcame my resolution. When, however, the time arrived that we were to make preparations for the voyage to buy the goods necessary to the undertaking, I found they had spent it all and had not one dirham left of the thousand sequins I had given to each of them. I did not, on this account, upbraid them. On the contrary, "'my stock still being six thousand sequins, "'I shared the half of it with them, telling them, "'My brothers, we must venture these three thousand sequins "'and hide the rest in some secure place, "'that in case our voyage be not more successful than yours was formerly, "'we may have wherewith to assist us "'and to enable us to follow our ancient ways of living. "'I gave each of them a thousand sequins, "'and keeping as much for myself.' "'I buried the three thousand in a corner of my house. "'We purchased goods, and, having embarked on board a vessel, "'we freighted between us, we put to sea with a favourable wind. "'After two months' sail, we arrived happily at port, "'where we landed and had a very good market for our goods. "'I especially sold mine so well that I gained ten to one.' With the produce we bought commodities of that country to carry back with us for sale. When we were ready to embark on our return, I met on the seashore a lady, exceedingly handsome, but poorly clad. She walked up to me, kissed my hand, and besought me with great earnestness to marry her and take her along with me. "'She assured me that I should have all the reason in the world "'to be satisfied with her conduct, "'and begged me not to object to her on account of her poverty. "'And so at last I yielded and ordered proper apparel to be made for her, "'and after having married her I took her on board and we set sail. "'I found my wife possessed so many good qualities "'that my love for her increased every day. "'In the meantime,' My two brothers, who had not managed their affairs as successfully as I had mine, envied my prosperity, and suffered their feelings to carry them so far that they conspired against my life, and one night, when my wife and I were asleep, threw us both into the sea. My wife proved to be a fairy, and by consequence a genie, so that she could not be drowned. "'but for me it is certain I must have perished without her help. "'I had scarcely fallen into the water when she took me up and carried me to an island. "'When day appeared she said to me, "'You see, husband, that by saving your life I have not rewarded you ill for your kindness to me. "'You must know that I am a fairy, and being upon the seashore where you were going to embark, "'I felt a strong desire to have you for my husband.' I had a mind to try to prove your goodness, and presented myself before you in disguise. You have done generously by me, and I am glad of an opportunity of returning my acknowledgment, But I am incensed against your brothers, and nothing will satisfy me but their lives. I listened to this discourse with admiration, and thanked my wife the best way I could for the great kindness she had done me. But, madam, and I, as for my brothers, I beg you to pardon them. Whatever cause of resentment they have given me, I am not cruel enough to desire their death. I pacify her by these words, and as soon as I had concluded she transported me in a moment from the island to the roof of my own house, and then disappeared. I descended, opened the doors of my house, and dug up the three thousand sequins I had formerly secreted. I went afterwards to my shop, which I also opened, and was complimented by the merchants, my neighbours, upon my return. When I went back to my house, I perceived there two black dogs, which came up to me in a very submissive manner. I could not divine the meaning of this circumstance until the fairy, my wife, appeared and said— "'Husband, be not surprised to see these dogs. "'They are your brothers.' "'I was troubled at this declaration, "'and asked her by what power they were so transformed.' "'I did it,' said she, "'or at least authorised one of my sisters to do it, "'who at the same time sunk their ship. "'You have lost the goods you had on board, "'but I will compensate you another way.' as to your two brothers i have condemned them to remain five years in that shape their perfidiousness too well deserves such a penance at the end of that time if you conduct them to my sister who placed the enchantment upon them she will remove it and they will regain their natural forms The five years being now expired, I am travelling in quest of my wife's sister, and as I passed this way I met this merchant and the good old man who led the hind and sat down with them. This is my history, O Prince of Genies. Do you not think it very extraordinary?' "'I own it is,' replied the genie, "'and on that account—' I remit the merchant the second half of the crime which he has committed against me. And with that, the genie disappeared. The merchant did not fail to make due acknowledgment to his deliverers. They rejoiced to see him out of danger, and, bidding him adieu, each of them proceeded on his own way. The merchant returned to his wife and children, and passed the rest of his days with them in peace. And they all lived happily ever after. That is all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening. Again, this was The Merchant and The Genie. If you liked or didn't like the story today, consider leaving a rating or a review. I'd love to know how I can improve this podcast. Is there a story that you might want to hear told? You can reach out to me and ask me at happilyeapodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at happily ever after underscore podcast. Thanks so much. I'll see you next week.